Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories. Special Edition is a production of Intercom Communications. Welcome to Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. This week, Jason Barsky joins us. He caught up with a security expert for some tips to help you avoid getting scammed. Also, Don Webster tells us how to keep hot foods hot and cold foods cold so we don't invite any problems to our upcoming summer picnics. And she also has some good advice about ticks. But first, we're going to start off with U.S. Attorney for the Middle District of Pennsylvania, David Freed. You may hear now and then in news stories about someone who's being prosecuted with help of Project Safe Neighborhoods. It's here in our own backyard and you can get involved. Attorney Freed, nice to have you back again. You always bring great information when you do come. And now we're going to follow up on what we talked about when you were here the last time, and that's Project Safe Neighborhoods still going on. Absolutely, and thank you for the invitation. It's very nice to be back and to have the opportunity to speak to you and and your listeners. Uh, Yes, uh, Project Safe Neighborhoods uh, program uh, run out of the Justice Department and and, uh, pushed out to the United States Attorney's offices all over the country. Uh, and it's it's essentially PSN 2.0. So this was done under previous administration, showed great results in reducing violent crime. And uh, 2.0 has the benefit of the research that was done before. Uh, and the way that it's been somewhat retooled is uh, we're given more opportunity to tailor the program to our districts. So you think of a place that, that uh, might just be a district that's dominated by a big city. Thinking of Western District of New York, you know, Buffalo is, mm-hmm. is, is the big player there. And I have a friend who works there. That's why it comes to mind. Uh, but the Middle District of Pennsylvania, you know, we're a big semi-rural district. What do you uh, cover? Okay. So we are uh, 33 counties in the middle of Pennsylvania. So if you think about the T that they talk about in, in politics, you know, when you there's a presidential campaign starting pretty soon, that you'll oh. hear about the T in Pennsylvania, yes. right? And that's the middle and then and then the uh, northeast and, and northwestern tier. We essentially have the right side of the T. So we have everything in the middle and then it goes over uh, to the east into the Pocono. So Maryland to New York border huh. uh, and, and the Pocono areas in, in uh, you know, Pike County and, and Monroe County, Wayne County, places like that. And then you get down into Schuylkill County. Sure, Schuylkill County, Schuylkill County and then all the way down to the Maryland border. Wow. So, so in, in the Middle District of Pennsylvania, you, you can't have a one-size-fits-all PSN program for the district. We're too big, we're too diverse, we're too spread out. So what the United States Attorney's Office for the Middle District of Pennsylvania has done is choose some target areas based on where we see the most activity. And it won't surprise you that it's in the more populated areas, uh, the more, quote, urbanized, unquote, areas. It's hard to really call any area of our district 
urbanized, but mm-hmm. there's some that are, are somewhat urbanized. It's not like Philadelphia. No, or not like not like a big city. Right. But what you see here in the middle district of Pennsylvania is, uh, you know, more issues in in certain places. What that looks like here is city of York, city of Harrisburg, city of Williamsport, and Wilkesbury slash Hazelton, and a little bit up into Lackawanna County. So our focus area here is generally Lackawanna, Luzerne County uh, for this part of the district. And what does PSN look like? Well, it looks like putting areas, uh, putting assets to areas of greatest need, community engagement, uh, measurement, accountability. Uh, what we do here specifically in, in this area is, is federal agency partners and, and state and local officials working very closely together meet on a regular basis and essentially share cases. So we'll sit down with, with case files and, and we have a very smooth process in place for local authorities to bring cases to us and say, maybe this case should be considered for federal prosecution. We have cases that we start on our own, but sometimes there are cases that are on the line between whether they should be state or federal. Had a lot of experience with this. I was a DA for many years before, so um, have been in the shoes of of our our local DAs. How do you make a distinction whether it should be a local or move up to the federal level? So that's a great question. First of all, there has to be a federal crime uh, implicated. That's not that difficult when we're talking about violent crime and drugs because gun crimes, drug car- drug crimes, there are statutes that apply state or federal. Different statutes but similar language. Right. What we're looking at is has this person progressed to a level with his or her criminal activity that makes them a candidate for a more serious level of, of prosecution? Often we'll see cases where person's engaging in pretty serious criminal behavior, but when we look at the sentencing guidelines, the state guidelines and the federal guidelines look pretty similar. In those instances, we're generally going to leave those cases at the state level. We're, we're going to take cases where we feel like we can get more serious punishment for people engaged in, in, in violent crime and violent activity. Now, there are certain exceptions to that. If there's someone who, who or, or a, a man or woman who's really causing a lot of problems in a local jurisdiction and they can't seem to, to get their hands around that, sometimes we'll take that case. Uh, we generally try to get people who are a little older. Uh, because the studies certainly show that the younger uh, the person uh, who's involved in, in committing crime, if they can, if we can intervene, mm-hmm. we might be able to make a difference. And, and that intervention is much better handled at the state level. Uh, and so we try to go a, a little older, but sometimes you'll see us prosecuting people, you know, 21, 22 years of age, depending on their level of criminal activity. So it really is a back and forth, a, a give and take. We have prosecution guidelines. Uh, but they're flexible because you have to be flexible in this business. I was going to say, when you're talking about so many of these, there are so many crossovers of, as you said, of the different instances that can happen. Of, But I guess you're also looking at if you have the ability to take it to the federal level, a lot of times people see things that happen in their own backyard, but the tentacles go a lot further. Sure. Everything starts at at a local level. Uh, and, and most of the cases that we do, especially the cases that we share with local folks, they'll start at the local level and, and, and we work our way up. You know, you don't start at the top of the chain. You work your way up to the chain and you start that by finding out what's going on in the neighborhoods. Good, solid, old-fashioned gumshoe police work being done by the police officers in the neighborhoods. And then there are federal uh, task force officers assigned from some of our local departments are assigned to work uh, with the federal authorities, uh, and we do enjoy very close relationships and, and, and partnerships here. Uh, I was just having a conversation with a colleague from another part of the country, and, and 
you know, they have sort of a sticky problem of, of lack of communication among mm. uh, their law enforcement groups. We don't have that. Uh, these folks uh, have known each other for a long time, work very well together. We're very well served by our federal law enforcement agencies. Now, they're mostly based in Philadelphia, like the right. hierarchies in Philadelphia. Uh, but we have, uh, you know, resident agents in, in Scranton and Harrisburg and different places throughout the district. And the supervisors from Philadelphia are here quite often. They're in communication all the time. Uh, now, could we use more resources? Could always use more resources, right? Because the way to attack this problem is to put those resources to areas of greatest need. It seems that's where the neighbors would come in then. So everybody can be a resource. Right. Uh, absolutely. And whether it's calling the police and letting them know what's going on, getting involved in the neighborhood watch group, uh, getting involved with the, with the victims group. I had an opportunity a couple of weeks ago to meet with some some parents and family members of, of folks who, who've uh, uh, died in uh, opioid overdose cases. And it was a wonderful meeting, very active, engaged group. And listen, in my experience, I've been doing this for a long time. There is no one who is a better advocate for uh, justice and safety and, and community uh, than someone who's unfortunately been, been victimized. And they take that uh, horrible uh, experience that they've had and, and, and turn it to a positive. You know, I can stand here in my, my dark suit, my white shirt, and my tie and, and, and talk all day long about this. But when you hear it from the people who've been actually victimized, uh, I think it's that much more powerful. And you also, um, as we had talked about the last time that we talked about Project Neighborhoods, to, uh, mentioned that it started back many years ago. Was it with the Reagan administration? I think it was George W. Bush. George Bush administration. Mm -hmm. And now it's still necessary. It's still here. And you had the opportunity to meet? I met our uh, new attorney general, Attorney General Barr, uh, a couple of days ago in, in Washington. Wow. Got to spend about half an hour with him, and uh, he wanted to hear about the district. What are our, our bigger problems? What what do we need? We've been very fortunate here in the Middle District of Pennsylvania. We've had a lot of support from this administration, from Attorney General Sessions, Deputy Attorney General Rosenstein, and, and now uh, Attorney General Barr. In the past year or so, uh, and I've been on this job about a year and a half almost, uh, we've gotten three additional positions, additional assistant United States attorney positions, uh, one to do violent crime, one to, to handle immigration cases, both civil and criminal, and then one to do uh, affirmative work in civil, which is really health care fraud and, mm. and overprescribing is where we're concentrating those efforts here. And that was all based on numbers and productivity. So good productive office, but we have the work for the people to do. Uh, and up to that point, there had been a hiring freeze. It was hard to replace positions. This department has been very supportive of pushing people out to the field oh. so that we can do the work where the work needs to be done. Um, in 2015, 2016, the statistics started to show violent crime ticking up mm. again. Uh, and PSN is absolutely directed at trying to attack and reduce violent crime in our communities. And a lot of times people think that they can't make a difference because they're afraid, number mm -hmm. one, of retaliation from someone who they may believe or, you know, well, you tipped me off or whatever. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that uh, we were talking about was the fact that there are these crimes that are occurring now and they're not really being done here, but through the mail? Right. So think about the way that, that, that we shop. 
Uh, I, I drove. I drove by a, a billboard. I live uh, in the Harrisburg area, and I drove by a billboard and saw that unfortunately a, a, a longtime retail establishment is closing, you know, going out of business. And I have no doubt that is because so many people are buying that product now uh, over the internet. True. I see the boxes. I have three teenagers. Uh, I see boxes <laughs> at my house all the time on the front porch when I get home, and the same thing is happening in illicit businesses. So uh, just as we order things from Amazon uh, or order things from from Walmart or, or whomever over the internet, that's how people are getting drugs now. So there are massive amounts of contraband uh, impacting our district in two ways. Number one, coming through the mail uh, or the other common carriers. And certainly people try to send it through FedEx, try to send it UPS. Mm-hmm. Uh, where we see a lot of it here is through the U.S. mail. Wow. And think about it, though. You know, rather than having to arrange a truck or a boat, uh, you can send 20 packages through the mail. And if three, four, or five of those packages get picked off, 15 of them still made it through and probably cost you less if you're a trafficker uh, than doing things the other way. What about dogs? Don't they have dogs so that it, check things? So it, it depends. Now, uh, yes, at certain certain mail processing centers – but think about it. The mail service is competing with FedEx, with UPS, and everybody's in the same boat. Uh, where the, 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 the largest FedEx center in Tennessee and the largest UPS center in Kentucky, law enforcement can get in there for about an hour a day because they have to – they're a business. And they have mm-hmm. to move these, these packages from one place to another. And if they don't, they're going to lose the business. So while they're trying to be cooperative, they're trying to run a business at the same time, postal service is in the same boat. Now – what we have in the Postal Service that we don't have in the private carriers is the United States Postal Inspection Service, right, who has intel programs, can watch addresses. And what we do a lot of here is uh, we do package warrants because we have suspicious packages, and then and then we do deliveries, and that's how we start cases. Oh, and, wow. And we've seen more and more and more of those. Uh, so that's been, been one way that I've seen a change just even since in the 20 years I've been doing this, that the it would happen occasionally before happens all the time now the other place we see things of course is our system of interstate highways i mean we're here just above the intersection of 81 and 80 where we're standing today right and there are just huge amounts of contraband cash drugs coming through all the time it's the same reason that we're such an attractive area for for warehouses and logistics makes us an attractive area to move contraband through it's just amazing especially when you think about how times change and the people that are doing this can find ways to adapt. That must be so difficult. Well, it, it is. And and sometimes you feel, especially when technology is concerned, you feel like law enforcement's a little bit behind. Right. Uh, now Why law, aren't they doing something? Why is this taking so long? Right. And and uh, uh, the, the resources that we have are good. The investigators we have are top-notch. But the criminals are always trying to stay a step ahead. Uh, you'd love to see what would happen if they'd put those uh, uh, put those skills to use for good uh, rather than ill. Uh, but you know, we're out there doing the hard work and, and doing some great work. I mentioned to you a little earlier a great case that just came up, and it's a combination of technology and old fashioned detective work, which is what most cases are. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it's a little bit like you see on TV, but most of the time it's 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 boring detail. 
analysis. Maybe boring to some people. To some of us, we're, we're prosecution nerds and we think it's cool. <laughs> well, you have uh, to have everything. Yeah. Because you can find out somebody on the other side can just take that report apart and say, you didn't dot that I. Right. So now the person walks. Right. And that's our burden. And in our business, you have to welcome that. You have, yeah. you have to welcome that burden. It's my burden to prove it. Uh, we've got to make sure that we've got everything that, that we could possibly get. Now, at some point, you've got what you're going to get and you have to make a decision whether you're going to go forward or not. So what can people do? So just stay engaged. Uh, you know, I saw a sign in, in a federal building when I was in Washington the other day, the old, you know, if you see something, say something. That's huge. You know, tell if, if you see a, a local police officer going by and there's something you're suspicious of, let them know that because that's how intelligence is built. And they'll make a note of that. They'll report that. That'll, that'll it'll be communicated to the rest of the department. And that's how we build those cases up. Keep an eye on what's going on in your community. I think I said it when I was here before. I, I try to say it in every interview. Even in what people would consider a, quote, bad, unquote, neighborhood, the vast majority of people are not getting in any trouble. They just want to be left alone. They want to be safe. They want to live their lives, raise their kids, do whatever they're doing. Uh, and, and most people who are in, in a neighborhood where things are tough are, are there through no fault of their own. So, you know, just keep engaged. Police are great. If you say, look, I said I, I saw something, but I don't want to be involved, they'll take your information uh, and just use that for intelligent purposes. So community watch groups, victim groups, uh, support groups. The, these folks I met with uh, from, from Luzerne County who've, who've lost family members, Th- this is how local folks can make a difference. So they go to Luzerne County Council. They go to Hazleton City Council. They go to Wilkesbury City Council. They're well-known. They monitor what's going on. And they're very positive and all about promoting partnerships. They reached out to my office. I was happy to meet with them. I sat down. We got letters from all three of those uh, boards of governance. I handed them over to the attorney general when I was in Washington the other day. Attorney General Barr. Attorney General Barr. And I said, we're making great strides in the Middle District of Pennsylvania. We have a persistent problem. Uh, of heroin and opioids, you know, we're not the worst place in the country. No, but we're just a little bit below that. Right. Like there, there are places that have gotten uh, a huge influx of resources because their numbers are so bad. Uh, we're not in 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 that position, but it's still an absolute crisis here. And I said to the attorney general, you know, we're just a tick under the worst places, but this is the kind of engagement we have here. And what we're asking for is as much support as we can possibly get. And uh, I talked with our uh, uh, special agent in charge of the DEA in this area before I went down, and and he used to be the agent in charge of this area. So middle district and particularly the northeast is near and dear to his heart. So we're going to keep plugging away, but it's that kind of community engagement. That's what I can do for folks. We can convene meetings. I was able to to take their concerns that they've been so effective at taking to their local officials directly to one of the highest officials in the nation, and I was proud to do it. You know, you're you're very modest, and a lot of times people, well, I know in our business, we get all your, your releases, your news releases, but you're you're very modest in, in what you're doing, and I think a lot of people don't realize, number one, who you are, number two, that you are having such an impact with all of these people that you're bringing together from local communities all the way up to the federal government. Well, I hope I hope that we are. You, you know, the, the releases that you see, I think we're doing a better job communicating what's going on in the office. That's the hard work of all those great career employees in the office. I'm the guy that gets to go out and talk about <laughs> it, right? They're the ones plugging away on the cases, doing the hard work in the courtroom. Now, I did that for a long, long part of my career, and I missed that. I missed that part of the action. But 
it's important for us, you know, for those of us who are in leadership roles to play that convening role, to maintain the relationships and, and to make sure that we have positive partnerships going on. And I am never going to be pessimistic or negative about the way things are going because I know the great partnerships we have here. And I know that uh, although we're not competing with other parts of the country, our partnerships are stronger. Uh, and and that's, a, that's a credit to the great men and women who are doing the work around here. Anything you'd like to leave with our audience today? Uh, you know, we're working hard every day uh, to make sure that our communities are as safe as they can be. And all that we can do is ask you to be our partner in that effort. Don't invite illness to your summer cookouts. Dawn Webster, physician's assistant, will be joining us to give us some good tips on how to keep hot foods hot, cold foods cold, and she also tells us about keeping our family safe from ticks. More to come on Special Edition. We're back on Special Edition. Dawn Webster, physician's assistant and assistant medical director with MedExpress in Pittsburgh, has some good advice if you have any outdoor cooking plans this season. The biggest thing to worry about? Food poisoning um, is essentially a foodborne illness caused by um, bacteria, viruses, parasites, and their toxins when food isn't um, prepared or cooked or stored appropriately. All right. So most people are thinking, well, I do what I have to do, and that is I cook the food before I go, and then I put it in a cooler with some ice, so I should be pretty good. Is that all we need? Well, it may be. It depends on the temperature. So if it's more than 90 degrees outside, then really one hour is the most you should ever have food sitting out, even on ice if it's uncovered not in a cooler. Um, If it's less than 90 degrees, you can probably get away with two hours, but really you you just have to be careful. Um, You know, the best thing to do would be to have it on ice and keep it in the cooler on ice until really it's just time to eat. Now, is that for hot foods, cold foods? Because I'm thinking we've got maybe some uh, hot dogs and hamburgers that are going, and oops, the baseball game started up, so now we're going to leave those. But they were cooked, so they should be okay when we come back if we just leave them there? No. So you want to keep hot foods hot and cold foods cold. So, yes, um, you know, if you're cooking food, hot, then you're going to want to keep them on some type of warmer or even, you know, turn the grill um, onto low or even just keep warm just to kind of keep them warm while you're, you know, watching your game or whatever else you may be doing. And then when we're talking about the cold foods, again, watermelon, that's a cold food, but if I leave that on the table or something like that, you know, other fruits that we might bring along with us or something, they should be okay, right? Sure, they should be okay. So this is more for the, you know, the potato salads, the egg salads, the foods that have, um, you know, the dressings and things like that in them. Um, fruits and vegetables, yes, they should be fine, but the biggest thing you have to watch with them is that when you cut them or you know, prepare them or wash them, that it was on a completely clean and uncontaminated surface. So that's where your problem is with those. You know, if you use your knife to cut your meats and then you just rinse it, um, you don't wash it, you know, really well or you use the same cutting board on your fruits, then essentially it doesn't matter how cold you keep them. When you eat them, you could get sick. And how do we know 
Dawn, when something like that happens? Because, again, when you're outdoors, when you're doing these things, you kind of let your guard down a little bit. As you said, we might not be as cautious with cutting boards and utensils, mix things up, and then all of a sudden we start feeling a little bit eh. So how do we know whether it was the baseball game that we exerted ourselves too much or the dreaded food poisoning? Sure. So symptoms of food poisoning are the typical gastrointestinal, so nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. With food poisoning, it can start anywhere from a couple hours to, you know, a good 12 hours after you eat the contaminated food. Um, But really, you know, these are all self-limited, which means in a healthy adult, they're going to, they're going to, you know, essentially work themselves out. They're going to go away on their own. Um, The biggest thing is to make sure you don't get dehydrated. So, you know, get plenty of rest. Make sure you're able to keep down fluids. If at all you start to feel weak or dizzy or lightheaded, those are signs that, you know, you may be getting dehydrated. You need to go to the doctor or the Med Express and maybe get checked to get some fluids. That almost sounds like, um, you know, the, the, you're talking about the dehydration. So that would even supersede something like food poisoning if you're out. Because, again, if you're out doing the exertions in the sun and things like that and you're not paying attention to getting your uh, fluids, that could also cause a problem? It could, Absolutely. When we're also talking about the whole idea of food poisoning, and I know in the past we've put together our uh, checklist of things that we need to keep handy in the summertime, are there things that we should take along with us in order to help um, if we start getting those gastric disturbances? No, there really isn't. So as far as if you do have food poisoning, you don't want to take an antidiarrheal or a peptivismal because, unfortunately, some food poisonings, if you do take those medicines, it can actually make it worse, not better. I didn't know that. So then yeah, what, so what the can you do? Some is if you do think it's food poisoning, just, you know, supportive therapy, lots of rest, lots of fluids, Gatorade, Pedialyte, things like that. Um, once you do feel like you can start eating again, stick with the bland foods the bananas, rice, applesauce, toast, and then once you're tolerating that while keeping it all down, then you can pretty much advance your diet as tolerated. But yeah, as far as medications go, you really don't want to take anything over the counter if you think you may have food poisoning. Would a fever come with food poisoning? It can. It's pretty rare, but it can. I mean, you can have chills with the nausea, but a true fever would be rare. And when we're also talking about the whole idea of food poisoning, you know, we're talking about outdoors, but this is also something that we should pay attention to when we are indoors too, right? Oh, sure. Food poisoning can happen indoors, outdoors, even at restaurants. Ah, now that's another good thing. What are the things that we should look for? Um, You know, we think about it when we're... When we're going on a picnic and we're thinking about the keeping things cold, keeping things hot, but usually if we're indoors at a restaurant, we think, well, they have all this handled. Sure. Well, hopefully they do. Um, But one of the things you could kind of take a look at is if it's any type of buffet and it doesn't look like they're keeping the food separated, they have the 
you know, cold foods and the warm foods all kind of on the same area, um, that's a good indicator that they're really not paying attention to the temperature. Um, or if the cold foods don't really feel cold, you know, you take a bite of potato salad and it kind of feels like it's room temperature. That's a pretty good indicator that maybe you should stay away from it. Ah, well, there you go. And a lot of times people don't think about that because, again, they're too busy enjoying and, oh, we can just kind of let that slide. And is there a change in color of food that we should also be a little bit wary of? Not really, um, to be honest, as far as if it's spoiled. Um, they say that even when it, you know, it spoils that day, you may not even smell a difference. So smelling it, um looking for a difference in taste, that's not very accurate. Um, now, when you're cooking food, you know, there's obviously a, a color difference. So when you're cooking meats, um, you want to look at their juices. When their juices run clear, if you don't have a thermometer or meat thermometer, that's a good rule of thumb is to kind of keep keep um, looking at the juices. And when they run clear, it's most likely cooked all the way through. Boy, I didn't realize that either. Just like I didn't know that food poisoning, a good thing is not to use the the peptos and the things like that. So a lot of these things, when we're going out now, it's that time of year. What would you say are some of the things that we need to really pay attention to? Because you don't want to ruin your summer with food poisoning. No, definitely not. So yeah, the biggest thing, the biggest take home is, before you start preparing food, always make sure you have a clean surface and clean hands. So wash your hands, wash the surface down. Make sure you bring enough knives and cutting boards to keep the poultry um, and the meats away from the fruits and veggies, the foods that you will be cooking and won't be cooking, because even if you wipe them down, you know, it's not guaranteed. So you, you want to just bring, you know, two separate sets for raw foods and, and foods that you're going to be cooking. And then the other thing that I would say is, you know, Keep hot foods hot, keep cold foods cold, and if you can, bring a meat thermometer just to make sure you can, you know, uh, ensure that you're cooking them all the way through enough to kill anything that may be in there. And while we're in the outdoors, we also have to worry about sharing our space with things like ticks. Typically what they do is they attach. Um, They can attach anywhere on your body, and it doesn't matter what you had on. You could have on long pants, and it could still be attached behind your knee. You know, they have a way of kind of crawling under clothes and crawling up somewhere nice and warm, and that's where they attach. So really the only way to know is you come in from outside, strip everything off. And the best thing to do really is to get a shower um, because essentially what that would do is if there were any ticks that you didn't see that aren't even attached yet, you're going to flush them off. So definitely take everything off, strip down, and, you know, really take a good look, get a shower. Sometimes they talk about ticks that can end up in your hair or Mm -hmm. at least on your scalp. So, again, um, you know, you may not decide that right now is a good time to take a a shower or something. But then again, how would you even know? Is it possible that you can knock a tick off and not know that you even had it on your skin? Yes. Yes, absolutely. In fact... Um, one of the studies they did showed that most people that had Lyme disease didn't even remember ever getting bit by a tick. They've never found one on them. Wow. Now that's something because, again, you're, and again, you've got such different parts of, you know, you mentioned behind the knees, but then again, there's also the back. Or So what can we do in order to prevent these things from happening? Sure. So if you're going to be outside, you're going to be in the woods, you can actually buy 
um, clothing that's treated with DEET, which is an insect repellent. And what that will do is that will actually repel them. They won't want to get on the clothes, behind the clothes, in the clothes. If you don't have that, you can wear insect repellent um, as long as it has DEET in it. The problem is, you know, babies, you're not even supposed to put it on babies under two months old. So what do you do with the, you know, with the little ones? But um, the other thing that they recommend is if you are in the woods, walk on the trail, walk where it's clear, try to stay away from the brush, um, away from any piles of leaves. Um, And then, again, you know, if you do go in um, anything thick or brushy, you know, to to try to, you know, really make sure you at least change your clothes when you're done. So now the other concern is you're outside and even if you're working in the yard there's a possibility and it's also now that you don't have to be in the outdoors in the rural areas but there's even a possibility in the cities as well so you come inside you find out ah i have one of these what's the first thing that we should do sure so if you're comfortable trying to remove it yourself if it's an area you can reach um, then take a very fine-tipped pair of tweezers and um, wipe them off with some alcohol to clean them. Wipe your skin off with some alcohol. You're going to grab it as close to the skin as you can and pull straight out. If it hasn't been attached long, typically you're able to get it all out. If it's been attached long and it's embedded pretty deep, it can be tough. So if you're not comfortable trying it, then head to you know somewhere where they're someone can help you. So, you know, a doctor's office, a med express, an urgent care. And again, if someone, if you decide to do that, how do you know that you have everything? And is there something that you should put on that wound after you remove the tick? Sure. So if it's an area you can see well, you'll be able to tell. So when you pull it out, typically you'll be able to see they typically have, um, you know, little legs that are moving, and, um, oh, and the other thing I do want to mention is um, you never just want to throw it in the garbage because it'll live. It'll crawl out. Um, so you either want to put it in a small um, bag or container with alcohol in it, alcohol will kill it, or just flush it down the toilet. So either one of those, you know, is really what you should do. Um, but just by looking at it, you can typically tell that you got it all out. And by looking at the area it was in, if you see a small black piece still in there that could be one of its mouth parts or a part of its head and if you can get it out with the tweezers go ahead and try it but they actually don't want you digging at it they don't you know they you can actually do more harm um by you know sitting there digging at it potentially you know pushing bacteria in deeper so they say if you can get it out easily go ahead and try if not let it go it's going to come out on its own um but after you get it out, again, wipe the area off, either clean up with soap and water or alcohol if you have it. And then, um, yeah, you can put a little bit of neosporin or bacitracin on it and then just a Band-Aid. Then what do we watch for after that? Because, again, if the if if there is a, a, a piece that may be left in there, is there a chance for infection? Or what do we look sure. for? Because, again, we talk about Lyme disease and people are looking for that, that target that they they yes. see the bullseye mm-hmm. so um if, in in terms of infection um if if it did get infected the area is going to get red it's going to get warm um warm to the touch it's going to get sore it's not gonna you know um just kind of go away like it, it should um because some soreness is normal after pulling a tick off but it's going to get worse not better in, in the next couple of days 
the Lyme's disease rash that you're talking about, the erythema migrans, so that is, it's going to start, you know, as a red area, and it's going to spread. And as it spreads, the central redness goes away, so it's what we call a target. So it's red on the outside, white on the inside. It's, it's a target bullseye lesion. And that is one of the classic symptoms of early Lyme disease. So, yeah, you definitely want to watch out for that. And it can be at the area of the tick bite, but it can also be anywhere else on the body, which is tricky. Oh, Dawn. <laughs> other than the DEET, other than wearing long pants, is there uh, is there anything else that you can... I know a lot of times they talked about the um, skin so soft, putting things on like that for mosquitoes, and now I'm getting itchy just talking to you about this. But are there is there anything else that you can do? And I know you're not a vet, but... We always think about our pets when we're outside as well. So can a tick go from one to another, from your dog or cat to you? Yes, and that actually happens a ton. Um, You know, there will be people that come in with with ticks, and they're like, I haven't been outside. And so one of the first things I ask them is, do you have a dog or cat that does go outside? And they're like, oh, yeah. So what happens is the dogs or cats run through the weeds, run through the woods, and the ticks fall on them, land on them, crawl on them, and don't attach. And then they jump up on the couch with you, and that tick crawls right off of them and onto you. So, yes, absolutely. So you do want to treat your animals with tick um, repellent, tick prevention. But unfortunately, a lot of these uh, medicines for animals, um, the tick has to actually attach for it to die. And if the tick just comes in on its fur, it's not going to actually kill them. So... You know, again, just checking yourself, you know, as much as you can really is the best way to kind of keep an eye on everything. About how many people, just off the top of your head, would you say you have seen in maybe one season since you've been with MedExpress that have actually come in? And do people bring the tick in with them if they've actually removed it? Yes. Yes, a lot of people do because... The reason is around here, the type of ticks that carry Lyme disease are deer ticks. They're teeny tiny, they're brown, they're oval shaped. And a lot of times people know that deer ticks carry Lyme, but they don't know what a deer tick looks like. So they'll bring it in and they'll say, is this a deer tick? And, you know, we don't know 100% because other there are so many different species. But if it looks like it could be, then we tell them, yeah, it definitely could be. Um, so a lot of times they'll bring them in just to help identify the type of tick it is. Oh, Dawn. And, um, to answer the number, oh, my goodness, I can't even tell you. I mean, there's days where it's five people to ten people in one day. <gasps> Thanks again to Don Webster, physician's assistant and assistant medical director, MedExpress in Pittsburgh, for some good advice about keeping away food poisoning and what to do if you have a tick encounter. I can tell you I had one this week, the first time ever, and it didn't even have anything to do with my animals. All of a sudden, there it was. I don't even know where it came from, but I do know I was able to extract it and then immediately made a trip to my doctor. We've taken some precautionary measures and hopefully that'll be the first and last time that I ever have to deal with the ticks. But again, it is getting to be a very bad tick season out there, so use your precautions and learn what to do. 
Coming up next, what to do about keeping the scammers away on Special Edition. Next on Special Edition, scammers, how to avoid them. Intercom's Jason Barsky caught up with a security expert to give us some things to watch out for. Jim Close, who is the director of loss prevention for a company called, it's Digiop, right? Correct. Digiop Technologies. And you go around, you're, you're the director of loss prevention, which in general terms would be you're the guy that goes in to help other retail companies or help retail companies avoid theft. Yeah, exactly. Now, is this like, I'm sure you've seen the movie Catch Me If You Can. Did this come from like a history of shoplifting as a childhood, child where they're like, this guy's so good, we got to make him our expert? Or you just got into this as a, at a young age and became the expert? No, no comment on that. Okay, that's all right. Uh, no, I, I, I got my start in uh, law enforcement in Chicago. Uh, actually, I started in loss prevention in high school. It was a high school job. And then uh, got into law enforcement and then transitioned into the private sector. So I've been doing this type of thing for over 20 years now. Who are the biggest victims? Is it, is, does the age, because Northeast Pennsylvania has a lot of elderly people, an older population. Is it, what is the reason? that their targets so is and the reason to kind of answer your earlier question the reason i know so much about it is is most of my time is spent primarily investigating so we follow the bad guys and we're, we stay current with what they do so that's that's how we we know how to speak to it but typically they'll prey on the elderly uh, or if it's a retail environment they'll they'll prey on younger cashiers because they're uh, the elderly really aren't Tip on technology. Um, they don't look at credit card statements that often. They're more susceptible to email phishing scams. And younger cashiers are just easily intimidated. So it depends on the scam. If it's credit card or identity theft, um, obviously I can assume the identity of a younger person who, who doesn't access their credit. Hmm. Uh, or if it's an older person, they're not paying attention to their credit. Um, I can steal their identity and, and, and open line the credit. Say, or if they're careless and lazy like me, they yeah. just don't pay attention. <laughs> a, you know, it's just like one of the those rest things. of us. But uh, the reason I actually got you on here is I know you know a lot about this. There was a, a, a member of the Romanian Organized Crime Syndicate arrested in mm-hmm. this area, Northeast PA. And what they were doing, they I guess he came through the area and was going through to grocery stores doing something called quick change. He was doing a quick yeah. change scam. Um, but And this can happen in stores to cashiers, but it can also happen in the street, correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the quick change scam has been around ever since there's been currency. Um, and, and how it works, it, it's pretty simple. Um, it's, a, it's a con, and all it is is they will walk into, example, to a, uh, a convenience store, and they'll buy a pack of gum, a, low, uh, a small dollar item. And then when the cashier has the drawer open, they'll, they'll say something like, hey, hold on, don't close the drawer yet. Can you break a 20 for me? Uh, so the cashier will say, sure. Uh, so I'll hand over the $20 bill, and I'll ask for, can you give me a 10, a 5, and 5 singles? And they'll count that out. Um, and then as I go to put it in my pocket, I'll stop and say, you know what? I don't know what I was thinking. I don't need all these singles. I'm trying to get rid of singles. Can, can you change this 5 and 5 singles into a 10 for me? And, of course, cashier will say yes. He or she'll pull out a 10, put it on the counter. I'll take that 10, and then I'll hand them back $9. Uh, and then I'll ask them to count it. So the cashier will say, hey, I'm a dollar short. Quick change artist will then pull a dollar out of their pocket and say, okay, you're right. This dollar makes it 10. Then he'll give back two fives, five, uh, oh, God. <laughs> you know, five makes it 15. Another five makes it 10. 
just give me my $20 back and we'll call it even. Got but the mathematically challenged, I just got away with $10. Uh, I got my original $20 back. She gave me $10. I confused her by, by shorting her originally. Uh, and she lost track of the original transaction. And these guys are very um, skilled. Like, I was kind of following that. I still got confused. But these guys are, they're like your typical con artists. They're going to walk around and they do this with such skill. Uh, there was a story I saw where someone got, someone did one of these and walked out with $200 somehow. Yeah, two to $300. The biggest case I, I was involved in was $300 cash. That's crazy. Uh, the, the, the good ones, once they realize that you'll make change with the drawer open, they realize they've got you, and then they'll either have somebody behind them distracting the cashier, or if they're working alone, if they're not getting their way, they'll get real belligerent, call the uh, the cashier stupid. Um, but yeah, it, it's the the good ones are so slick. You you know you're getting burned, but you don't realize what's going on until it's too late. If, if you're in a store uh, and your company goes around and teaches people and companies how to look out for this stuff, but this scam can also happen on the streets. What, what is oh, yeah. what is something I, yeah. uh, someone can look for, like to go? Oh my God, this is happening to me! And what should they do in that situation? So, anytime somebody asks you for change on the street, hey, I, I got to catch the bus. Can you break a fifty for me? Um, you should <laughs> initially you should be suspicious. Yeah, I, immediately and the I am. Somebody, yeah, you 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 absolutely should. Um, but as soon as they start trying to hand money back, say, you know what? I changed my mind. I don't really need this change. Can you give me this instead? Put your hands in your pocket, close your wallet, and walk away. Um, if you're a cashier and you hear these words while your cash drawer is open, hold on, don't close the drawer, I need change, you're about to get hit by a quick change artist. I'm sorry, they'll actually say, uh, keep the drawer open. Yeah. Hey, don't close the cash drawer, I need change. Um, if you're a cashier and you hear that, close the drawer. What, if I'm an honest customer, what do I care if the drawer is open or closed? I just I need quarters for laundry. Um, but a... a Quick change scam artist needs that drawer open to to make the scam work. Uh, so if somebody approaches you on the street, my policy is I'm sorry, you know I'm not a currency exchange. I don't give change. It's as simple as that. But people, how, how common is this? It's, it's pretty common. I'm surprised uh, when you sent me the article. I was surprised they actually caught this person. It, go, it largely goes unreported. Right. Uh, it falls. It falls under what us, we in the business call ORC or organized retail crime. Um, and there are groups of con artists that, that travel the Midwest doing this in, in small grocery chains. Um, smaller retailers, they tend to stay away from big box, uh, but it, it doesn't get reported a lot, so it's very, very common. Is it, does it not get reported because people sometimes realize what happened and feel embarrassed? Uh, that's a piece of it, Jason. The other part of it is is, is um, smaller retailers just don't have an avenue to report it to. And a lot of times these, these groups are transient. They're difficult to track. Uh, in, in your case, that, that happened locally there, it sounds to me like they just got a little bit greedy, and one of the, the establishments they picked on just happened to have a really good surveillance system. Yeah, because the guy, to your point about people you know, not being local, had addresses in Chicago, Maryland. Uh, let's see. He was captured in Maryland. Uh, he was wanted in Dallas, Edwards, Edwardsville, West Pittston, and Wyoming here in Northeast PA. He's been bouncing around, going through areas, stealing money, and taking advantage of people. So now he's off the streets. You know, I, and I'm, this stinks. I'm, I'm out of time. I have so many other questions. Just, um, but okay, I, I'd dude. love to have you back at some point because uh, it seems to happen every week. There's some sort of scam out there, and I kind of want to have someone to go to to be like, uh, Jim, how are they taking advantage of us? How can we stop it? Call me anytime, and if your listeners want more information on these scams, they can go to digiop.com, click on the news button at the top, okay. and scroll through all of our blogs. It'll tell you exactly what to look for.
Yeah, we just got a text from someone. Uh, one of my customers got burned when he sold a laptop last month, $2,100 in fake $100 bills. Now, now that is a little different. That's more just like fake change than quick change, and that's... Uh, well, it's, it, I, I've got a whole thing I do on counterfeit currency and how easy it is really? to make and, and how to spot it. Sure. Well, we can both help you and stop you from getting ripped <laughs> off. So, no. I'm not uh, going to tell you how to make it. No, here. no, no. He said it was easy. I just was you know, curious. Uh, no, uh, it's uh, Jim Close again. You're the uh, director of loss prevention for Digiop. It's D-I-G-I-O-P.com. Thanks again to Jason Barsky for sharing his interview with Jim Close with us on Special Edition. We'd also like to thank U.S. Attorney for the Middle District of Pennsylvania, David Freed, and Physician's Assistant Dawn Webster with MedExpress in Pittsburgh for joining us today. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories. A production of Intercom Communications. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T Mobile.com.